These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Rebecca Schutz, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm here today with Nancy Sarnoff. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Rebecca. People often ask why I write about real estate, and I do it because it's my job. But I (laughs) respond that I think real estate is pretty unique because where we live becomes part of our identity. Mm-hmm. It represents family and history and culture. You hear about it in music, books, movies. But real estate is also an investment, one made by people and companies all around us. And I think the push and pull between the two is important and something that deserves to be unpacked. And as home prices have risen across the nation, people are increasingly pushing for affordable housing. We have with us a special guest, Erin Douglas, who writes about the economy at the Houston Chronicle. Some of my favorite stories she's written involve how the external costs of doing business are paid by Houstonians with little resources. For example, how pollution left by rail yard has been linked to a cancer cluster in Kashmir Gardens, and how Houston's lack of zoning has pitted Acres Homes residents against a proposed concrete plant. Recently, she wrote about the tensions brought up by a proposed affordable housing project in the Fifth Ward. Nancy and I are writing about two other affordable housing projects in the East End, so I figured this was the perfect time to invite her to come and talk about it. Thank you for having me. Hi, Erin. So I was wondering if you could start just by telling us about what this project is in the Fifth Ward. Yeah, so the St. Elizabeth Hospital is a historic building, and it's huge. It's it's 115,000 square feet, and the project is being developed by the Fifth Ward Community Redevelopment Corporation, and a $53 million project is a renovation and a new building for mixed-income apartments. So this is in a historic neighborhood of Houston, and a little over half of the units are going to be affordable. And can you tell me a little bit about the history of this site? Because I understand it's an interesting site. Yeah, so it is a very historic site. The St. Elizabeth Hospital was built in the 1960s, and it was for uh, it was to address a severe lack of hospital beds for people of color in the city. If you remember, uh, during that time, Houston was segregated, and people of color did not have enough hospital beds uh, to have their needs met, and so that's why this hospital was built. Uh, in the historically black community. Um, And then after that, it became an addiction treatment facility, uh, the Barbara Jordan Recovery Center. Unfortunately, that failed in 2014 after uh, it ran into some financing issues and some fraud issues and state regulators ended up shutting it down. So since then, the building has been empty. Uh, It's just sort of sitting there uh, on Lyons Avenue and is uh, mostly falling apart, honestly. Like there's glass all over the ground. Uh, People break into it frequently, that sort of thing. But that's uh, the historical context. This building means a lot to the community. And so they want to see something done with it. But the question is what? 
Why do you think it has been vacant for so long? Yeah, it's just a lack of investment in the community, it seems. Um, the Fifth Ward CRC that I mentioned earlier, uh, once the building was up for sale, they were looking for projects to do along Lyons Avenue. And so that was the one that they had been eyeing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they said that that was something that was on their radar that they wanted to get taken care of. Okay. Because it is, like you said, it's such a humongous building. It really sticks out on, on Lyons Avenue. And it's it looks like a beautiful building or was at at one point. Yeah, for sure. And it's on three acres of land. So mm-hmm. it's a huge amount of space in that community as well that's just not being put to use right mm-hmm. now. And can you walk us through the vision? Yeah. So the vision is to restore it um, without... Uh, taking away from the character of the original architecture. And it actually has a historic designation. So it does present some unique development challenges because they can't move walls. Windows have to stay where they are. This is all in order to get historic tax credits from the city. So on one hand, it, it really preserves the nature of the architecture. It preserves a reminder to the community of how this building has served them, you know, in the past. At the same time, it means that a lot of the units are restricted to staying as one bedroom or maybe a studio or two bedroom. And it can't be very big because of the layout of the hospital. And I think one of the big things about anything when you're talking affordable housing is what is affordable. Can you walk us through the breakdown? Yes. So... As of now, this has changed a little bit since the first proposal, but as of now, it's 10 units at 30% of median area income, that's of Harris County, um, 19 at 50% or less, 37 at 60% or less, 26 at 80% or less, and then 87 will be for market rate. So a little over half of them will be 80% or less of median area income. So... I think a lot of listeners will already be familiar with area median income, but area Mm -hmm. median income, they look at the median income of the entire city for households of different sizes. So if you're going to be one person by yourself, or if you're going to have a roommate, or if you're a family of four, and what the typical income is for each one of those. And then affordable housing, usually they're saying, for a household your size, this is how much a medium family in Houston makes. If you make a portion of that, if you make only 80% of that, then your rent will only be, only eat one third of your income. That's sort of how they calculate it. It's not very intuitive, Mm -hmm. but I think what they're doing by making these different levels, they're saying we need to have housing that's affordable to people who make different amounts so that it's not only for very low income people. There's a lot of question about whether we have enough housing for the middle class Mm-hmm. And I think this project is trying to tackle all of that. Yeah, it's really trying to do all things. And that is the difficult part of it. One of the experts I spoke with, Bill Fulton of the Kinder Institute at Rice University, actually made a pretty good point, I thought. And um, he pointed out to me that the median household income in the Fifth Ward area is already significantly lower mm-hmm. than the city median area income. So the folks running in the St. Elizabeth project may actually end up being around the same median income as that area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is the median income? Oh, in the fifth ward, um, I looked at the uh, area surrounding the St. Elizabeth uh, Hospital, and the median household income of that area was $22,000 
give or take, in 2018, which is less than half of the Houston median income Mm -hmm. of $51,000. And that's for a single-person household, the $22,000? I think the census just says Yeah, the census just says median. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a household of any size. There are a lot of cities that are doing this sort of tiered building where some of the rooms are for the median worker, some of the rooms are for people who make like half of the median income. But this is new to Houston, right, Nancy? It is relatively new. And yeah, we haven't seen a lot of these in Houston, these mixed income buildings. For so many years, people have talked about how we need something like this, especially since the city has grown so much over the past couple of decades, we've built a lot of housing for high-end individuals, for people making a a lot of money, especially in the urban core and in the downtown area. We built hundreds, thousands of new apartments, and not one unit was reserved for anyone of of a, a lower income. So we're actually starting to see some more of those buildings happen, like the St. Elizabeth, Rebecca, you mentioned the story that we've been working on about the East End, where the Houston Housing Authority is entering into this agreement with a private developer to build two of these projects and potentially bring a thousand units to the area, some of which would be reserved for people making as low as 30% of the area median income. I think what is interesting about that is that the St. Elizabeth Project was actually going to be 90% affordable units until there was some opposition to the project in the neighborhood from relatively new residents that had moved in in recent years. And then they said, we don't actually want that many units to be affordable. We want more market rate housing. We want more services in the community. And their opposition being that they were able to find a technical error in the state application for tax credits Mm -hmm. actually changed the nature of the project because then the project didn't get that funding. Mm -hmm. And so now they're pursuing a different unit mix. And that's interesting because it brings up how these neighborhoods are changing so drastically. The fifth ward, the second ward, which is the East End, the, the third ward, all of these areas are gentrifying. They're seeing new investment from wealthy individuals, developers are coming in and, you know, building higher-end homes and shops and townhomes. And so people are moving in and taxes are going up. So mm-hmm. longtime residents are struggling with that. And some longtime residents are having to sell their homes yeah. and move and- out. The folks I spoke with just uh, on the street or in community meetings, a lot of them said, well, I just don't want to have to leave. And is this project going to uh, gentrify the area or is it going to be somewhere where my family could move to or where my kids could move to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that some people poked holes in this proposal in a way that actually upped the amount of market rate units because – My first sort of exposure to this was when I was living in San Francisco. In San Francisco, there is a lot of community input at every point of the housing process. It's a remnant of the 70s, and it makes it very difficult to build anything. And the community would always be demanding more affordable housing units as part of the conditions of a developer building. And, you know, 
They'd be like, why? Why only 25% affordable? We want it to be 100% affordable. You know, they would make these very big demands from the developers. And here it seems like it was the opposite. And that's a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah well, I think sure. an affordable home in San Francisco is probably for someone who is making potentially six figures. Uh, maybe. I think it would probably be. I would have to check the numbers. Yeah. But it is it is very high. It's- I remember being in San Jose for a time just south of San Francisco, and the city was booming, and they were building new apartments, and they were offering market rate units, and then they were they had some of them reserved for people making lower incomes. And I think to qualify for those units, you could not make more than $60,000, and that was like 20 years ago. So now it's yeah. got to be really yeah. high. I guess I just bring it up because, you know, a lot of times people in the community will start really examining a proposal and being like, oh, this isn't technically correct. Let me point out problems with your application. And in some places, it seems like the goal is really to drive up the number of affordable units. And here it seems like the goal was different. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the fears in the community, what is driving this? Yeah, so... For the folks opposing the project and who, as you say, are poking holes in it, they are concerned that it's going to destabilize the economic growth in the community. And they say, you know, we have the seeds are planted for economic growth in this area in the Fifth Ward, and we want to continue to bring that development. We want to continue to elevate this community. And their argument is more affordable housing in an area where they already have a lot of low-income residents will further contribute uh, to the same problems that the Fifth Ward has today and that there's not enough money being spent in the community, there's not enough development happening in the community. And so that that's their argument. And they say that additionally, the east side of Houston generally and the Fifth Ward generally has more affordable housing than other areas of the city. And they say, you know, why wouldn't you put something like this in a more affluent community with more resources? We don't have enough resources here to take care of more people. So that's that's their argument. And I think that a lot of them said that they had come to the Fifth Ward in recent years because they saw that development coming from downtown and they wanted to be in on that. They wanted to mm-hmm. buy a house in the area and sort of see this growth that comes in. That reminds me a lot about the East End, too. Yeah, it's very Um, similar there. So we were talking about how there are very few mixed-income developments, which means an apartment building meant to be affordable for people making different tiers of salaries. And right now, all of a sudden, there are multiple underway around the city. So one is in the Fifth Ward, and there are actually two in the East End, if you want to talk about those. Yeah, the two that are proposed in the East End, they're both along Buffalo Bayou. One is just across from Clayton Homes, which is a historic subsidized housing project that was flooded during Hurricane Harvey. A lot of those units are now unoccupied. And that's part of what's driving these two new projects is to replace those units in Clayton Homes. So the two that are proposed in the East End are one 
that would include 600 units on 10 acres. So it's a pretty big site just across from Clayton Homes. Just about half of those units in that building would have market rate rents, and most of the remaining units would be reserved for households making 80% of the area median income. A smaller number of those units would be reserved for people making as low as 30% of the area median income, and that Mm -hmm. is, those are considered the replacement units for the Clayton Homes Project. And then there's a second parcel just south of the bayou on 28 acres on Middle Street, and that right now is slated for a 400-unit complex with no market rate units, just units for people earning 60% of the median area income, and then another portion for people making 30%. That development is getting special scrutiny from yeah it is from people or around it from the stakeholders and from the new developers in that area because they have been spending you know the past several years really trying to build up that area and bring high end development there and they've they've done that to a large extent there are $400,000 townhomes that are selling right across the street from this proposed site for the complex And I wouldn't say that they are anti-affordable housing, but they feel like it's clustering too many low-income people in one area. It's interesting that that project isn't as mixed or as tiered Mm -hmm. as, you know, for example, the St. Elizabeth project. There's, you know, what, one, two, three, four, five tiers in that project. And that project that you were talking about only had two, Two. right? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we should also mention there's a fourth project like this going in at the near north side. It hasn't gotten as much controversy as far as I can tell, but it is another project. It's going to be sort of near the metro rail and it'll have um, apartments for people of different incomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we wrote about that recently. And when we put that out on social media, there were a lot of people who were cheering you know, who have been saying this is what the city has needed for so mm-hmm. long. So I think it obviously gets trickier when you're in an established neighborhood, which both of the projects that we're writing about and that, Aaron you've written about are, are in. Yeah. In the Fifth Ward, I think one key aspect of the debate is just the impact that Hurricane Harvey continues to have on the that community and the people who live there as well, because there was a lot of housing taken out or they're not able to stay in their homes. And so I think the a lot of the community wants the project because they feel that they've already lost so much housing in the community and they are supporting pretty much any new housing stock coming in. Mm-hmm. The folks opposing it, you know, are not necessarily in the majority in that neighborhood because all of that development has yet to really come into the fifth ward. You know, it's just barely starting to turn, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And so much of the community is really wanting just more affordable housing generally. Yeah. I wanted to tell you that it was it was interesting this morning. I was driving around my neighborhood. I was in Spring Branch, mm-hmm. and I noticed something on an apartment complex that I'm not sure I had seen before. 
But there was a sign, a big sign. They were trying to lease units, and it was a, you know, a, a big complex, you know, not too new, not too old. And there was a big red sign that said 5% off for teachers, firefighters, police oh. officers. Yeah. So that's it's interesting. it's interesting to see. I mean, I think that's obviously one sign that people are taking this issue more seriously, trying mm-hmm. to do something about it. And it's it was very interesting to see a private developer do something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is a private developer with zero subsidies or tax credits or anything. And they're trying to do something about the yeah, problem. I would be very interested to hear what their story is. Yeah. So I was speaking with, um, just yesterday, with someone at the Urban Land Institute. I'm going to mangle his last name, but I think it's Christopher Tomey. I think it has a silent P at the beginning. <laughs> it's P-T-O-M-E-Y. I think that's Tomey. Potomey. Um, but he was talking about he was talking about how much unusual investment is going into workplace and affordable housing. And in particular, he was talking about companies like Apple and Google who are like, we are going to set aside sizable sums of money to build housing for our workers. And not only that. So they continue to pay their workers low wages and live in the area where <laughs> they want to have their workers. And, and they will profit from these developments as well. And another example was hospitals. Apparently, there are some hospital systems in Colorado that are building housing because their workers need them. And also because I think some of the theory is that other people in the community, I guess some um, emergency room services have very low margins. By just having better housing, they think they can reduce their costs. But he was talking about how basically these private players are having these economic incentives to provide housing. Mm-hmm. This is a, a nut a lot of people are trying to solve. Is that a saying? A tough nut to crack. This yeah. is a nut a lot of people are trying, trying to, to crack. crack. <laughs> what do you solve? A problem. Yeah. A problem. A lot like of Maria. Yes. <laughs> Get it. Um, yeah. And something that I thought was interesting in your piece, Erin, was when... It's just this idea that once you start talking about affordable housing, a lot of people just start bringing their desires to the table. And you can just sort of see these needs, wants, desires, demands playing out more nakedly than you do when just people are privately developing. And you're seeing your environment, your neighborhood change without having much say. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, that's true. Well, I think because it brings everyone to the table in a way and everyone feels like, you know, these are our tax dollars, this is our community, et cetera. And so we get to say what happens with that. You're right. It really brings it into a public forum for folks. Mm-hmm. And that was actually one of the complaints about the East End projects was a lot of people said they didn't know about it until it was already very far underway. And there was actually a lawsuit about it mm. um, saying that when the Houston Housing Authority released their agendas. Their language describing what they were going to talk about was so vague that no one knew it was an affordable housing project. It didn't have the word affordable. It didn't have an address. So there was a suit and the judge did say, well, we're going to stay these projects until we either hear more about it or until you do a meeting that's properly noticed. Mm -hmm. And that's what they ended up doing was 
holding new meetings. It's really interesting you bring that up because in a separate story that I had written about gentrification, I talked mm-hmm. to Jason Hyman, who's the president of the Super Neighborhood Council in the Third Ward, mm-hmm. and he brought up the same point about having noticed that something is going to come into your neighborhood, and he said that he's working to bring developers into the community without catching the community off guard because Mm. he said that is really important to his community there is that they know what's coming into the community ahead of time. It's not prescriptive because, you know, then it sort of feels, and I can understand why they feel a little offended when, you know, something just goes up and you didn't have any say Mm -hmm. into that project or into how it might change the character of the neighborhood or your street or your property value, et cetera. So it's just an interesting point that how developers maybe will start to look at doing town hall styles or something to, you know, clue in the community yeah, um, before they get down the road and then face all this opposition later. That's actually a requirement in San Francisco. That was a little bit about when I was saying there's so much say the community has that it slows things down. But people really do know what's going in before it does. And I think they do appreciate that. And it almost creates a a little bit more community involvement, I think, just that people do see, like, they walk around and they see notices and they realize they can attend meetings. But it would be interesting if, you know, more private developers started to do that as they're trying to come into communities such as the Third Ward um, or the East End to sort of avoid some of the opposition later on. You mean, like, even if they don't have to, they start yeah, doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is happening. That has been happening for quite some time. I mean, not all developers do it, of course, but Mm -hmm. if they're at all concerned about neighborhood pushback, they're going to do it. I just talked Mm -hmm. to a developer who did something in the museum district, and he hasn't built his project yet, but he went to the community, spoke to the group, made himself available. And there's another project in that same area where the developer has just been mom, nothing out of him. And that that project went in front of Houston City Council because they were asking for a variance and dozens of people came and spoke out against it. So you could argue that it yeah, it's, it's kind of like take your, sense take your to, chances, right? It's like maybe yeah. the community won't notice or maybe you'll really get. Yeah. But that's a bit, that's a big issue facing Houston as we get more dense and yeah. Neighbor, these these older and you have more neighbors, right? These older yeah. neighborhoods start to change. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about what the projects are. Could you tell me a little bit about what the next steps are? Like, how far along the process is this project at the former site of Saint Elizabeth? Yeah. So they're not done figuring out the financing yet. So I believe it has to go in front of city council for those Harvey funds in February, mm-hmm. and then. They're projecting that they would start construction renovation in the fall, but okay. I'm not. We'll have to see mm-hmm. what actually happens with the financing. So right now is when all the details are getting fought right. out, and then they could start development as soon as the fall. How about the East End projects? So the East End projects are a little unclear at mm-hmm. this point. The housing authority is still trying to acquire the land. They cannot acquire the land until they receive proceeds. Well, I didn't mention this earlier, but the Houston Housing Authority is selling Clayton Homes, the project that I mentioned earlier, 
to TxDOT, which is a whole other story. They're redoing the freeway over there, and mm-hmm. so they need that land, which is why the housing authority is needing to replace so many of those units. So they have not closed on the land for the two projects that they're proposing, and they won't be able to until they close with TxDOT. All that said, the president of the Houston Housing Authority, who's been behind these projects, was just released from his contract or Mm -hmm. his contract has ended and he and it's not being renewed. So So there's quite a bit of uncertainty with these projects because not only do they not have the land yet, they don't have the money to buy the land yet. And the person driving this initiative is no longer there. So yes, there's a lot Thank of things you in for flux. Simplifying that. <laughs> a lot of stuff in flux. Okay. And then I think the one in near Northside has already started. That's already started. Yeah. And you know, this is it's interesting. A quiet one. I I interviewed the developer and he said we don't talk to the media until after we break ground. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, yeah, it's good to go out and into the public and tell them what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing something that involves affordable housing, that's a touchier subject. And I am sure that's why they don't go out to the public, because they don't want anything to slow them down. It's something a lot of people are passionate about. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned, pay attention. These new projects in which People with different incomes will be able to live are coming to Houston as a way of hopefully fending off displacement in neighborhoods where a lot of development is happening. While also bringing the community up while also in bringing, economic opportunity. It's a way to have it all, theoretically. <laughs> Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll include a link to the stories on St. Elizabeth and the East End in the show notes. And if you don't already, subscribe to Looped In. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have an idea for a show or just want to say hi, I'm on Twitter at R.A. Shoots. And Nancy? I am at N. Sarnoff. And Erin? I'm at Erin M. Douglas, 23. (laughs) Until next time, thanks for listening.